the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Um, anything we can talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. You can drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Um, real quick hit, um, Apple. I know a lot of people are, have questions about it. Stock that I personally own, um, it's up today. The earnings were so average, and to me, that's okay. That's the quarter to have average earnings. The second quarter of the calendar before you go to back to school and before you go to um, Christmas and before you come out with new products. So that's okay. Um, it is interesting to note that the stock is not at an all-time high, but pretty darn close at this point in time. Um, so it's going to fight what's called resistance. Uh, people have never made money at these levels before. Uh, people have never sold at levels this before. Kind of like you start running into the psychology of like, hey, this is fresh. What should I do? Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it. I would say the worst thing about their numbers, the best thing was the iPhone. Um, it's doing well. The worst thing was the iPad. It's kind of being marginalized, in my opinion, by other devices that are cheaper. And I guess people just aren't willing to pay for premium for a tablet in the United States as far as gaining market share. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton? Doing well. People can find you at newfocusfinancial.com. They can listen to your show here Monday through Fridays from 1 to 2. Um, new Focus on Wealth. Uh, let's talk a little bit about earnings season. We're kind of almost halfway through, not quite, but almost. Yeah. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts? And, you know, more on Apple. Thank you, China, for making Apple's quarter, right? A 48% sales jump in China, which is twice the growth rate of the overall market there. So, and that's, that's showing, is China can, can becoming a consumer-based society? Well, they're on their way. Um, and uh, looking for companies that are globally diversified is so key. It's going to be interesting how international investing changes now. And, and went to a conference on this where it's going to be less about 
where the company is located and more about where their revenue diversification comes from. So before, you would just buy international funds, and they were international stocks, and they you know, move differently than your overall portfolio. Now things are global. And so now you know, picking individual companies also means, okay, where is the revenue growth coming from? Um, and in the U.S., what, we get about a 3% growth in revenue for the U.S. for Apple and, and much larger for China. So that was interesting. But, you know, we don't really ever make any major allocation changes during earnings reports because we've got a blog on this that will be coming out on Thursday, Rob, that, um, at newfocusfinancial.com, sell-side analysts. Um, and, you know, you've known these people over the years. They are very optimistic about the future, right, because they have to keep people interested in stocks kind of part of of the gig. Um, and what we keep seeing is earnings estimates lowered at the beginning of the quarter. And then that way that companies can come in at the end and beat them. So currently right now, earnings per share in the S&P 500 about $107.80. Two years ago, analysts expected earnings to be about $130 per share by now. That's how amped up analysts get. And unfortunately, that's what gets reported on CNBC. And that's what causes kind of the bigger emotional corrections, which can be opportunities for, you know, people that are patient and, and always have a little powder dry on the sidelines. But, I mean, from 107 to 130, that's a 17% difference in, in expectations versus reality. Um, and the other example that I was going to give is for J.P. Morgan, earnings estimates for the second quarter of 2014 were as high as $1.53 a share. Okay. And... By the beginning, by you know, a couple weeks into the quarter, that was moved down to a dollar thirty-one a share. You know, twenty twenty bucks difference. And so when they reported earnings of a buck forty-six on July fifteenth, the headline from Fox Business that day was J.P. Morgan second quarter results easily beats estimates. So I mean, you can't really pay attention to these quarter by quarter reports anymore. There's too many. it's it's just getting a little bit silly with who gets published in terms of whose expectations are being beat. When you got to look at companies now, and are they growing the top line, that's revenue? Are they growing the bottom line, that's profit? And where's their revenue coming from? Is it all U.S.-based? Is it also doing well overseas? Um, What's their, you know, moat? That's how do they, how can they protect their business from other people coming in and eating their lunch? Um, so it's, you know, it, it's one of those things where on the day-by-day news on earnings reports and expectations and beating share analyst estimates, most of these analysts are, you know, English majors in college, it seems like, and, and uh, come out and they can write a good report and make people believe what they're saying. Yeah, I think there's, um, I think there's definitely a case for them, but definitely a case not to fall in love with uh, any, you know, one prediction or one you know, analyst, uh, right. Gene Munster, who follows Apple, he's been incredibly right over a period of time, but he's been incredibly wrong over short periods of time. Uh, so I think it's, it's sometimes what I get out of the sell side analysts is definitely during the earnings season is during the conference calls. It's listening to what they have to say, what questions are on their mind. That, and you that know. is a good point. Yeah. Asking, you know, the, the hard questions and knowing, that the analysts are always looking at the income statements and everything else, and so they, they know when they see changes or something that looks a little bit odd and questioning the CEO and how they answer. But, you know, most you know, people, Rob, don't have time for that. Oh, I live for that. So <laughs> last night listening to Apple Call, uh, 
one analyst said, you know, what about the Beats acquisition? You know, is that going to be accretive in 2015? I was like, yeah, I kind of forgot about the Beats acquisition. What about the Beats acquisition? Isn't it crazy you forget um, about a billion-dollar-plus purchase for a company because it's so large at this point? Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. I notice at the gym more Beats headphones. Like, you notice it, but you don't – sometimes you don't factor it into your expectations on, uh, you know, wearable devices per se uh, right. because that's what, that's what it is. It's a wearable device. Anyhow, let's move to stock options. What do we need to know? Uh, stock options. I just want to remind people about this because, you know, as you go through a big market rally – especially in a lot of small-cap and mid-cap-sized technology companies. Um, you know, people forget about how to deal with their options. And there's, there's three basic kinds of stock options in addition to employee stock purchase plans. But I really want to talk to people about RSUs. Those are the most common type of stock option plan, RSUs, where you get a grant. And what happens is as that grant vests, and usually it's over a four- or five-year period, as that grant vests, those shares, when they're given to you, they become taxable. It's a taxable event. And so there's no real reason to continue to hold that stock if you're already overweighted in that company's stock. So usually what happens is the shares vest, they sell enough shares to cover the tax withholding, and then they're yours. And so if you're already 10% plus weighted in the company that you work for, or it's already 10% over you know, the uh, amount of your portfolio, you need to start selling those RSUs as they vest. Um, there's no tax you know, strategies around holding those. It doesn't make any difference. So sell them, reinvest in something else. At the same time, you might have non-qualified stock options, and there's no reason to buy and hold those. So if you're going to exercise them, you exercise them, sell them, and buy something else. Instead of stock options, those are a little bit more tricky where... Um, buy them and hold them for the longer of one year past uh, purchase or two years after grant date. You can qualify for some capital gains, um, but they can be subject to AMC tax if you do that. So you only want to exercise and hold ISOs early in the year. Don't do it late in the year. For more information on RSUs and stock options, uh, RSOs, excuse me, you can contact CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, invested, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. It's earnings season, which means I'm staying up late. And unfortunately, last night, a little bit too late. Uh, one of the things I made a mistake on was turning on the Giants game in the seventh inning. And they tie it up, and then it goes, I think, 15 innings before it's all said and done. Sloppy, sloppy finish, but I guess that's how those sometimes end. You don't see a lot of games go 15 innings, but you get the point. Um, that kept me up. Fortunately, it was an East Coast game. Otherwise, it would have been like 2 in the morning or something crazy like that, uh, which is a no, 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 no. Let's take a look at the market numbers. Um, S&P 500 um, having a good day, 
down, not having a good day. It's earnings season, so sometimes particular components can shift the weight of, of market numbers. Apple having a good day after reporting earnings. We'll talk about some of the earnings in just a minute. Delta Airlines profit raises rose uh, 17%. 17% for an airline? Are you kidding me? Woohoo! Uh, let's talk a little real estate. Bring in Tony Mendez. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. He typically comes on, talks real estate, talks mortgage lending with me. I saw a recent report out that the average wage in America grew 1.7% last year. Now, some cities were better than others. San Francisco up 3.7%. Baltimore up 3%. Seattle up 2.7%. Atlanta up 25 in income. D.C. up 24 St. Louis and Houston also on the list. What's interesting to note about that is real estate skyrocketed in San Francisco in the last year. Yes. And part of this is, you know, the medical and science jobs in San Francisco are paying a little bit more. But also, like Twitter and the IPO um, made a lot of little millionaires. And millionaires don't mind paying 10% over asking price as long as they get the location, location, location. So the incomes, in my opinion, is what drives real estate. So across the United States, real estate incomes in the United States have been pretty stagnant for 10 years. And yet we've had a bubble rise, pop, and rise yet again. Um, incomes to what you do, Tony, how important is the ability to fund your monthly mortgage versus collateral? Which is more important, your capacity to pay back the mortgage or the collateral? The amount of money you put down. The capacity. Okay. You have to be able – you could have – I mean, we have FHA, for example, that you, know, you could put as little as 3.5% down. You have down payment assistance programs that are offered by you know, your, your local counties and cities uh, with uh, 100% financing. So – but you still have to pay it back. Um, there's a lot of what they call streamlined products, even with FHA and, and Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. You still have to qualify. Even under HARP, you still have to qualify. So it's the capacity, but you also have to have a good credit score. So in the past, it was just your credit score. Now it's your capacity and your credit score. It's interesting to note that I refer to it as the three C's of credit, but there's you know, more to it than just that. But there's your credit score, i.e. the first C. That's important. There's the capacity, your ability to pay back, i.e. what's your income. And then there's the collateral. How much money do you put down? I recommend people put down some money. I'd rather you have skin in the game. Then you're going to be thinking more importantly about what you're buying. When you're putting 3% down or 0% down, you're like, Psh, I'll buy in stock and hope it goes up. It's all leverage. But if you're putting 20% down on the peninsula, it ain't all leverage. And you're thinking, which do I think is going to be better over the long term, peninsula or Stockton? At this point in time, Stockton. Peninsula. Probably Stockton now. Oh, yes. You're looking at, at you know, a lot of cities in the peninsula are over their peaks in 2007. Right. We were just looking at that today. So, um, yeah, you, just the theory of, of buy where the opportunities are, buy where nobody else is buying, um, can, can also help you as an investor. But, you know, most people today, we have a lot of investors that have pulled out. Right. So most people that are buying today are not the speculators. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing such low amount of inventory is changing hands right now. In the mortgage process and the refinance process, you taught me something kind of important, it, or you shined a little more light on it. The importance of, if you have an old credit card... Use that one versus the new credit card because it's more – it's an aged account. And that goes into your credit score of how long have you had the accounts open? How long have you been able to use this without blowing up? For the purposes of radio, I answered your question in a very short form. But it, there are many, many factors that go into oh, the approval process. Not only the, the 
the you can have the for example if you purchase a house you have a, 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 an appraisal contingency and most people think that's your value it's not it's the actual you know the 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 condition of that report it's the quality of it um, your credit score you have to you have a great credit score but if you don't have enough trade lines which are those credit cards and those old credit cards that have tenure um, you can't get a loan I there was one guy who had real estate transactions in the past mortgages he's paid off his loan he paid off all his credit cards they're all gone and he had a great credit score but he had no trade line he can't buy a house yeah. and he had great income so it's a combination of every factor and the scenario itself are you doing cash out are you buying investment property is it a second home is it a condo is the condo in litigation um, then you have to change transactions at a higher rate do you qualify with the debt ratio so there's, it's everything that goes together even things like if you want to show that you've got cash and your parents give you ten thousand dollars you want to season that money. You want it in that bank account for three, four, five, six months and not 30 days because it's all going to be seen. You, you think you're going to hide something from a mortgage I, I can't, lender? I can't. You can actually get gifts from, from family, and, and then FHA opens it up a little bit more. But um, that's true. If you, you have to be able to document your, uh, your down payment. But the, the rules in general are just getting tougher, Rob. Sounds good. It's Tony Mendez. He's my mortgage lender. You can find him online at bayarealonesource.com. That's bayarealonesource.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. One area that I'm not proud to say, but I buy a lot of store brands when I shop. Um, if you're already defending your choice of buying generic against, you know, high-profile ads, uh, you know, pushing product, you know, a National Bureau of Economic Research just showed that, like, buying the big, well-promoted, well-boxed, nice colors, good icons uh, product, it, it's it's better to go with the generic or the store brand. And, you know, there's more information about this that keeps coming out. There was a study that I found fascinating that uh, basically said you have to have high school degrees by brand name products, college degrees by generic products. And, like, even gasoline, when you see the, a sign that says cheap gas, get it. I'll tell you why. Because every state has a standard of gasoline, and they're not going to... And that's good enough. Do you need the high-end, super-duper clean, super-duper washes your car while it's driving? You don't need it. If it says terrace gas station, it's still got the state standard. If it's, you know, Dirty Joe's cheap gas, it's still got the state standard. Um, so just throwing that out there for you. And, uh, you know, I was telling a friend the other day, like, when I go shopping, it's it's kind of interesting because... You know, like if you want to get a slim fast shake, you can pay, you know, buck seventy for the slim fast, you know, where you see the cute girl in the commercial on television, or you can get the Safeway brand for a buck ten. It's made by the same company. It's just got different packaging, right? Anyway, you can find me online at robblack.com. You can find Tony at bayarealonesource.com. We'll take a break here. Got a seminar coming up. You can sign up for it. It's on the peninsula. Coming up in a couple weeks, uh, sign up at robblack.com. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's business time.
period of time in my career where I would never own an airline. It just, they, they lost too much money collectively for year over year over year over year over year. And now they seem to have their act together, making it much more intriguing. Uh, Delta Airlines reported a profit rising 17%. Results driven by higher passenger operating revenue, traffic increased. Uh, earnings up 17% is earnings up 17%. And 50% operating cash flow is pretty darn business when it's reinvested into uh, the company. So just throwing out there, sometimes things change. Speaking of which, let's bring in Dr. Jeff Rosen, ChiefEconomistBriefing.com. Um, how are you, Mr. Rosen? Pretty good. Over yourself? I'm good. Uh, the only thing that I saw out there economically today, and I'm probably missing things, is because I'm caught up in earnings season. I saw mortgage numbers come out today, but I saw the National Retail Federation cut 2014 retail sales forecast, and that seems kind of like a big one to me. Um, did you see that report? Yeah, I saw it, uh, at least the headline passing through. It's tough to look at these big conglomerate organizations and you know have them explain what you know demand is actually like it's like listening to the the retail the sorry the realtors come out and say that everything yep. is hunky dory in in the housing market and then you get bad housing numbers for you know 3 4 5 months in a row so you know the federations are out there to you know serve themselves but i mean if you look at it in general the consumption growth isn't spectacular uh we had you know, I'm predicting this quarter to be below what we had last quarter. And last quarter, you know, you had the whole, uh, you know, winter weather conditions. So, you know, there's a lot of ugliness in the consumer market right now. What's the trend? Where's the trend going to go? Do you think that we're turtling up and we're spending less? Or do you think we'll get back to historical norms and basically spend our paycheck? Yeah, it's difficult to tell right now. And you're having a very big shift in saving behavior between um, the new millennials and the baby boomers. And you know, when the baby boomers were, you know, at the millennial age, they were spending a lot more. Uh, the outlook was stronger. Uh, they were able to, you know, go in with a, with a little bit stronger uh, attitudes. You know, the current consumer, the current you know, millennial, is more like you know the Depression babies back you know my my grandparents' age, you know, where they're you know used to this idea that you know your job could be taken away tomorrow for an unknown reason, and you may not have an income for six to twelve months. So you're seeing a lot higher savings and a, and a lot higher uh, holding on and spending on less, you know. We're spending more on a necessity and less out of luxury, at least in the millennial group. So, you know, the, this switch is making it difficult to judge where overall consumption is going to head because you normally predict a steady uh, savings rate, but the savings rate's actually, you know, increasing a little bit. But aren't the millennials kind of like, and I'm going to say the baby boomers, where there was a point in time where the baby boomers were free love and they're hippies and um, they wanted to save the world in the 70s and um, corporations are bad. In the 80s, they all bought BMWs. Like, they switched. They became the consumer that they hated. They, they became the man that they, they detested. Won't the millennials become the man, or won't the millennials become spenders, just like everyone else eventually sells out and does it? It, it, it could happen. You know, there's no question about it. But the, the idea is, is this generation that's coming through now going to be more like, you know, the Depression-era generation, or is it going to be more of, 
the baby boomer generation. Uh, okay. My guess right now is based on, you know, college wage, you know, coming out of out of college and seeing your wage not increase for five years, you know, it's going to make people be a little bit concerned that, you know, their life cycle earnings is going to be lower than what they initially anticipated it to be, which means that you're not going to take out credit today to fund current purchases because you don't believe the income is going to be there in the future. The baby boomers didn't necessarily have that problem. They came into a into a time where credit was being uh, you know more available, especially you know in the 90s and in the late 80s. So you were able to purchase based on future earnings without much of a problem, and you weren't concerned that your job was going to go away at least you know in the 90s and in the late 80s. I mean, once the economies rolled after uh, the Fed caused it to crash to curtail inflation. Uh, there was no real reason to, to hold on to big savings. That's fair, because I had a grandparent who, every day, he was just thrifty and economical, and he, he never became a spender. Uh, so maybe you are onto something there. So and that's as discouraging you know, as it is, sounds. Right. Is this a, a generation change, or is this just temporary... Um, result of you know a large economic catastrophe that happened you know right in the you know the formulating years of the millennial generation. What else are you working on, Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist, Briefing.com? Um, we're having a lot of discussion in house about uh, inflation and where inflation is going, and is there really inflation? You, know, you, you look at the earnings reports and you see. You know, company after company after company complaining that prices are going up, and you know some companies are able to pass it on to the consumers without problems, like uh, Chipotle. Uh, others may not be able to do so. Yeah, so we're we're having these internal discussions, and I'm combing through the uh, the CPI numbers to see where the inflation is actually coming from. You know, is there a general upward tick in prices, or is it uh, benign like the uh, the headline number suggests? So, you know, it's one of those kind of think pieces. So let's talk a little bit more about Chipotle because you brought it up, Bob. A lot of the breakfast companies, and I guess I won't even say breakfast companies, but fast food companies, who are trying to like continually reinvent, reinvent themselves with new breakfast or new burritos or new something. Chipotle just does the same old boring menu year after year after year, and it seems to be getting it right. That's my analysis. What's your analysis of somebody like a Chipotle who is standing out as a winner in an area that there's a lot of losers? Well, you have a menu there that is you know, pretty tasty, and at the same time, you can go in there and order a very healthy meal and get it really, really fast. Uh, if you go to Burger King or McDonald's or Taco Bell, you know, you're not going to get the same quality of, of item, you know, especially healthy items. So when you're having a more health-conscious consumer, you know, they're willing to pay the little bit extra for that, you know, that item. The you know, stores like Chipotle are going to do well. Anything else that you're working on that we need to be aware of? No, I think uh, next week we're going to get our look at GDP, and uh, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what the end result was for this current quarter. Now, does that mat- that doesn't matter to the people like Patrick O'Hara because it's past GDP numbers or past market numbers. How much do you put in the you know, GDP reports as far as economically helping us? 
Well, I look at to see if you know the output gap somehow uh, came in, slowed down. Uh, it's one of the ways of suggesting that unemployment is going to speed up, or, or sorry, employment growth. So the payroll numbers are going to speed up or slow down. So the, the closer we are to you know, having those numbers match gives us a better idea of how payroll growth is going to be in the future. So I'm looking to see if you know, the, the output gap really came in. That's the biggest piece. And then, you know, just getting an overall trend of what are people buying, what are people investing in, and how and how is that working? You know, businesses letting loose and, and buying and, and purchasing stuff. You don't get too much out of that. You have to make a lot of assumptions out of the monthly numbers. So the, the quarterly numbers that you get in the GDP report give you a little bit better information on, on how trends are happening. So speaking of which, I used to interview an economist who was very leery of government numbers. And one of the things that he would say is, well, the Obama administration is, is going to pull jobs at an area where they look better than areas where they're not so hot. He had kind of this a little bit, a little bit of like you can't tr- what you say, where you can't trust retail numbers from the Retail Federation. You can't trust you know, housing numbers from the Housing Federation or the Real Estate ho- Brokerage Federation. Uh, is there any data that you don't really trust from our government? No, I'm pretty trustworthy of the government data just because the people that work there don't get swapped out with every administration. I mean, the people that are collecting the payroll numbers, you know, they're lifers. They're not going to be there, you know, because a Democrat's in office or a Republican's going to be in office. Uh, They're not concerned too much about what Congress does, except if they cut funding and they don't get paid. So the only thing that, you know, these numbers are doing is showcasing what, uh, you know, what's actually going on. I'm pretty uh, trustworthy on on the government data. And, you know, a lot of people complain about the inflation numbers because you see inflation in front of you, especially at the gas station, and it doesn't show up in the headline numbers. But you have private numbers that come out that monitor inflation. Uh, The billion uh, item price index that comes out of MIT is closely tracked to CPI. uh, And that's the way it should be. Yeah, okay. There's been nothing that says government is, is evil and it's wrong. Yeah, I, mean, I wasn't going for government is evil, but I don't know, maybe a, kind of a press release versus hardcore data sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you could spin it any way when you want, when you're listening to the, you know, the head of the, of the BLS, for example, explaining what the labor numbers are, or then hearing... You know Obama's, uh, you know, economic team explaining what they believe those numbers state, but the number is what the number is, and I don't think those numbers are um, miscalculated in any means to have something look better than it actually is, or have something look worse than it actually is. Thanks very much. Super appreciate it, Dr. Jeff Rosen. He writes pieces for Briefing.com. He's the chief economist. Um, He always has interesting perspectives, honest perspective, interesting insights. Uh, He pens a piece called Economic Insight. It's worth a read. It gives you perspective. It helps you digest the market. It helps you see what the market's doing. You can find him at briefing.com. Heart Radio. Love Radio, in fact. 
Um, I bring that up for an odd reason. No, not really. I bring it up because, uh, you know, I enjoy what I do. And I'm honored that I get a chance to do it. And I'm honored that I get to do it for you. Um, some days I will not do it correctly. Some days I'll do it better than others. Some days I'll hit the stories that you really want to hear, and some days I'll totally miss them. Tonight, Facebook's going to report earnings. Tomorrow, I'll talk about it. Um, they did something amazing. Their stock's near its all-time high. They did something amazing about a little more than a year ago. They basically came out and said, you know, mobile is zero to us, and we need to ramp it up. Now, mobile has very low cost per click. Like the advertising that advertisers have to pay for mobile, not as expensive as desktop, and mobile's becoming much more important. There was a study out this re- week that said the average American spends 2.7 hours a day on a mobile device. I didn't get into it enough to see if it was tablet versus phone, but I think it was mobile device. I think it was both. That's awesome for Facebook. Um, I hate Facebook. I have a Facebook page, group page. I hate Rob Black. The point being is, I throw that out there for you. Um, I just see people just addicted to the thing. And it's the most annoying thing in the world. I've got a friend named Art. And he's on my Facebook page. And he takes pictures of food. Like, really? He's got two young boys. And uh, he takes a picture of a pizza. And he's like, hey, this is what the boys want and it's deep dish Chicago style. And I'm talking about it, which makes me insane. Um, I don't know. I've got another guy who, let's just say he's a player with the women. He takes pictures of food, of stuff he cooks. And, you know, he's got a lot of women who follow him on Facebook. And um, he kind of, like, sells that image of, hey, I'm an Italian. Look what I can do. And, I mean, that's just check. You know, like, he's not ready to settle down, so he takes pictures of food. Um, and I guess I guess someone likes it. Um, and he, he is a heck of a cook. I'll give him credit on that. Apple up 3% today, $97.53. Uh, it's at its 52-week high, just under it. Not at its all-time high. A couple years ago, it spiked it spiked up to 700, you might remember, and then they did that 7-for-1 split. So its all-time high when adjusted for the split is $100.01 a share. So it's pretty close. Now, what I expect from Apple the next couple of weeks are announcements. Um, I own shares of Apple. I legally have to disclose that from time to time. Not every time, but often enough so that, you know, I'm not pumping. Um, so it's back to school time. And today we saw National Retail Federation cutting its 2014 retail sales forecast. Citing slowing growth during the first half of the year, the trade organization said it now expects retail sales to grow 3.6% this year, down from 4.1% in January. So what's interesting to note about that is that ties into Apple, right? Because Apple's got two very big things coming up, back to school, where kids go to their mom, I need the new iPhone, ma'am. Ma'am, I need it. Okay, darling. Like... And parents keep buying into this. Like, another friend of mine, he's dad. His kid wanted a $300 baseball bat. And it's like, it's like called the, the Sharkinator or something. Just It's got a fun name, right? I suppose that's a fun name. Um, where does the story end? Retail is important. So we're seeing retail forecast cut. Apple's got back to school. Man, I need a new iPad. And then 
the watch. And we don't know what we're going to get with the watch. What's fascinating to think about the watch, in my opinion, is um, it's supposed to have a lot of health care tied towards it. And I'm kind of excited by that. Um, and what that means is, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. And if I could have a, a wristband that tells me the Fitbits and the fitness, you know, the Nike watches. Nike said they're going to stop making their um, sports watch, their thing that counted your calories and everything. Um, Nike's chairman and CEO sits on the board of Apple, um, Philip Knight, and they've hired a lot of Nike employees. So to me, when Apple does something, they try to do it right, and it's going to be fun to watch, in my opinion. So we don't know for sure, but we think. Um, so again, two big things coming up this year. And then it gets into, okay, let's take a look at their quarter. iPad was not good. It wasn't good. There's no way you can say it was good. And they're coming out with a bigger phone, and that's going to cannibalize the iPhone. Uh, no, no, no. It's coming out with a bigger phone, and that's going to cannibalize the iPad. So it's something we continue to watch, right? Um, so that's actually good news, just so you know, for Apple. Cannibalizing the iPad, because it's just... It was kind of a sad moment on the conference call yesterday when Tim Cook said, you know, for you guys, the iPad didn't do great. But for us guys, for us, we loved our results. Hmm. That's not exactly on the same page, in my opinion. Speaking of competition in the world of Apple, Amazon Fire, the review is, it's full of a lot of gimmicks. It's lacking a lot of basics. And it's missing a ton of um, apps. So no one's really thinking it's going to be all that in a bucket of chicken. Again, will it add incrementally? Yeah, and Amazon's not trying to hit home runs. They're trying to build home runs, or they're trying to build a perfect team. And for them tying you know, a lot of gimmicks and delivery services tied towards it, uh, you get where it's going. Google looked at buying Spotify. Hmm, price was too high. Talks broke down. It'll be interesting to see if they come back to that story. In May, Apple agreed to buy Spotify competitor Beats Music along with its sister company for $3 billion, which you know, the sister company makes headphones. But Spotify has 10 million paying subscribers, 30 million users of its free service. It's got a little more scale. If you listen to Rob Black and your money, you can find me online at robblack.com. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Take a break. Talk to you soon. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.